Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up, and I'm joined by my co-host and editor of News Data's California Energy Markets, Jason Fordney. News Data covers the energy sector in California, the Northwest, and beyond like no one else. Here are some of our top stories from this week. But first, Jason, how are you doing? Great, Dan. How are you doing? I'm good. We finally have like the first day that feels kind of summery up here. Uh, it's like in the 70s, I think. Nice. I think is today the first day of summer. Uh, it yeah, it's the, we're recording this on the 21st. And uh, yeah, I believe that's the first full day of summer. It's the summer equinox, right? Yeah. I was told the days get shorter by three minutes a day. Is that how much? Oh, that's trying. how fast it happens? Wow. <laughs> that's what I was told. <laughs> yeah, I never thought about it. Uh, and then there's that one day where it drops off by an hour. Yes. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I will say it's it's a weird feeling. I always really appreciate the winter solstice because you're like, well, at least the days are getting longer. Yep. And it is a weird feeling that it's like right at the beginning of summer, the days are already going to start getting shorter, uh, even though you, know, you think of summer and long days, but yeah. it's just all downhill from now. Uh, <laughs> one way to look at it. Yeah, I guess, you know, we don't notice it until a few months have passed, but it is kind of interesting, kind of yeah. fascinating. And uh, yeah, we have not got the baking hot weather here yet, but it's on its way. Some pretty grim uh, drought numbers recently, mm. but uh, we press on. Yeah, well, speaking of pressing on, uh, yes. you've got a story about... Uh, PG&E and the Environmental Working Group. Yes, I do. This is I covered this in Bottom Lines uh, in Friday's issue. This is a new report from the Environmental Working Group, uh, based out of Washington D.C. A um, so little bit of controversy here. They they took uh, a pretty easy target on here, Pacific Gas and Electric, and that's the the main point of this report. Um, it's called Power and Profit, How PG&E uh, Fails California Ratepayers and What to Do About It. And it sort of takes a look at the principal ills surrounding PG&E. We reported on many of these, uh, main one being wildfires, the infamous campfire, ongoing fires, um, other accidents like San Bruno pipeline explosion in 2010, uh, high rates, and uh, what this group says is a focus on fossil fuels at PG&E. We can talk about that a little bit more, but uh, it says yeah. sweeping reforms are needed at PG&E, according to this report. It also uh, targets state regulators for what uh, it says is rubber stamping of the utilities' financial requests, as well as the state's grid operator, which would be the California Independent System Operator. And there was plenty of response on this one. Um, much of the, and I, I wrote this up in my column rather than a news story because I wanted to take a look at some of the um, ideas here. And what it says is uh, in the context of PG&E, it, it takes on the central station power plant model. It takes on the IOU um, model. And I guess what I'm thinking is, you know, these are more intrinsic utility industry things and specific to PG&E, although their points are taken. 
Um, let's hear a quote from this report. In our four-year survey of the national utility landscape, it is clear that the current utility business model has failed miserably to provide for a safe, affordable, clean, and resilient power system. This is Grant Smith, who's senior policy advisor at EWG. PG&E is an unequivocal poster child of that failure. So I did talk to Mr. Smith a little bit about this. Um, I made the point that PG&E is also invested in a large amount of renewables, but he said um, that there's still utility scale projects and investments. He wants a, a de decentralized system. Um, of course, there's efforts in that regard happening in California also. And also the net metering proposal, which he characterizes as coming basically from PG&E. It is a CPUC proposal. And I, I've looked into this. I guess the CPUC's net metering proposal, if people don't know, was to cut the payback for solar owners. Um, some are saying it was uh, directly structured on IOU comments in the proceeding. That may be. But uh, the fact is, um, this did not, you know, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a utility proposal. Um, and then uh, I did talk to... Uh, the CPUC, their spokesman, Terry Prosper, said that the legislation AB 327 required the CPUC to reform the net energy metering tariff. Bill required the CPUC to ensure that customer-cited renewable distributed generation continues to grow sustainably uh, with several, um, I guess, pathways for that. So, yeah, very interesting. Uh, you can find this on the EWG website. Uh, you can, of course, find our coverage on news data. Um, and in terms of CAISO, um, the report talked a little bit about market manipulation during the August 2020 blackouts, which I've been writing about this. Those trades in question were actually outside of CAISO, but inside WEC, um, and Forker's been ordering refunds. CAISO spokesperson Ann Gonzalez had quite a direct response. She said, our experience with reports written by these authors has been that they are consistently unbalanced, partially researched, incomplete, and inaccurate. Uh, she said the root cause analysis of the August 2020 blackouts by CAISO, the CPUC, and the California Energy Commission found that outages were due to extreme weather, resource adequacy, and planning process, processes, and some specific market practices. Um, yeah, just sort of wrap it up. The analysis also, according to Kaiso, provided recommendations for immediate, near, and long-term improvements to our resource planning, procurement, and market practices, most of which are complete. So yeah, uh, interesting report. I was glad to put it in kind of a column form and take a look at some of this. But um, yeah, just more, a um, little bit more fodder for some of the PG&E critics, I think. And a lot of that is <laughs> for good reason. But again, I encourage you to read that on our website. Yeah, no, and uh, listeners should go check it out. And there's a link to the uh, Environmental Working Group's report in Jason's article there on, on newsdata.com. Uh, I, I appreciate you calling this out in the context of how this applies to larger industry, because I think that's really the significance for the wider audience here, mm -hmm. that as you point out, these are issues that perhaps PG&E uh, might 
exemplify more than others um, in as much as you agree or disagree with the report's findings or, or allegations. But they certainly apply to more than just PG&E. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, California is kind of its own animal, but uh, yeah. still, I mean, there's certainly aspects in here that apply to IOUs and just utilities in general. For sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, you'll see it in the Midwest, of course, East Coast, everywhere, the IOUs and Central Station model. But um, yeah, a lot of people talking about the need for change too, away from this model. And this has some pretty detailed findings. It's it's backed up by former CPC member Loretta Lynch and uh, Bill Powers, pretty well-known industry analyst. Yeah. So well, moving, moving the conversation forward on pg and a little bit. Yeah. So our, our top story that I wanted to fill listeners in on uh, is also a report. This one is from some of the world's leading experts on wind energy. Uh, they expect that wind energy costs, uh, they've already significantly fallen in recent years, and that is just the start of the decline. They're saying they're only going to fall faster and faster in the coming decade. And this is according to a survey of more than 140 of the world's leading experts on wind energy. The experts said that they expect wind turbines and wind plants to get considerably larger than today, and that offshore wind projects will move further from shore into deeper waters. The survey was conducted in 2020 by researchers from the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory, along with researchers from National Renewable Energy Laboratory and the U.S. Department of Energy. The survey didn't consider or look at outside economic factors such as prices of materials and interest rates, or COVID-19. But interestingly, it builds on a similar survey done in 2015 and comparing what experts said back then to the reality now. Experts back in 2015 said, oh, we're gonna see huge price declines and they uh, under predicted the amount of price decline. So they're being conservative. Their forecasts back in 2015 were conservative compared to where we've actually seen. And uh, so if using that as any gauge, uh, if that's any indicator, it'll be interesting years ahead for wind energy. And uh, I think we're gonna see some really interesting applications um, and uh, developments as the business cases, business models or business case, I guess, uh, you know, for, for how, what's affordable, what's developable, what's useful uh, really expands. Yeah, and a lot of obstacles. Uh, you know, the West Coast has the sharp drop-off requiring offshore turbines to be floating yeah. turbines. That adds to the cost and the maintenance problems, I assume. And yeah, we've, <clears throat> we've been running some stories about tribal opposition to proposed offshore wind areas due to, uh, um, you know, a fish impacts historical impacts so yeah a long way to go for offshore wind in the west coast but um, it is there's a lot happening in that space right now yeah the winds of change are blowing oh they are nice there you go. yeah nice. that was terrible okay <clears throat> but jason back to you all right um, let me i can't really think of a segue to nuclear power but another report from brattle group last week um and pollsters fm Three research addresses the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant 
There's been more discussion, including from the governor, Gavin Newsom, about keeping Diablo Canyon open beyond its uh, scheduled retirement of 2024-2025. Kind of surprising to see this happening so quickly, but anyhow, this new analysis by the Brattle Group says that uh, Diablo Canyon will be nearly essential for achieving the goals of 100% Clean Energy Act of 2018, also known as SB100 here in California. And this opinion polling by FM3 of 620 voters uh, says uh, the majority of them favor keeping it open. Um, Natural gas as a fuel source remains more popular at 71% total approval. Nuclear's approval rating has increased slightly in the past 10 years to 54%, while gas has declined nearly 20 percentage points. A majority of voters, based on this rather small sample size, favor keeping Diablo Canyon online to reduce prices, maintain reliability, and increase resiliency. Favorability in San Luis Obispo County, where Diablo Canyon is located, is among the strongest, which makes sense because of the job loss and local economic impact. Brattle's evaluation was done on behalf of Carbon Free California, suggests that meeting SB 100 goals by 2030 uh, are unrealistic without the nuclear plant. Brattle compared a base case scenario based on current policy to one that retains Diablo Canyon and analyze generation needs to meet the legislation's goals. So, uh, yeah, Governor Newsom indicating California is taking a look at getting in on some of the federal nuclear plant funding that the Biden administration is proposing. So, might see Diablo Canyon stay open, although uh, the decision to close a plant was made by PG&E. A lot of people don't realize that for economic reasons. But uh, with enough subsidies, maybe it'll stay open. It's a good portion of our power here in California. Back in the Northwest, Bonneville Power Administration is proposing an 8.7% increase in Fish and Wildlife Program funding for its next rate case. That would bring in a projected extra $21 million a year in fiscal years 2024 and 2025. In uh, fiscal year 2021, BPA spent about $254 million a year. Uh, there are concerns that Bonneville's fish and wildlife programs are being underfunded currently. The agency has been trying to hold program costs at or below the rate of inflation in order to keep their overall costs down for public power customers. However, that's learned, led to concerns and criticisms that some of the programs have not uh, seen any uh, real funding increase even at the rate of inflation in as many as 10 or 15 years. And this highlights Bonneville's, the tough position that it's trying to balance here between its statutory obligation to keep rates low for its public power customers to its statutory obligations to provide mitigation for fish and wildlife and its dependence on secondary market revenues to subsidize cheap power for uh, its primary customers, public power agencies. And you can read more about that from uh, Rick Adair at newsdata.com. Looks like this money, just briefly looking at the article, goes to hatcheries, fish screens, and acquired lands. Yeah. Um, it actually, there's an interesting thing at the um, uh, recent uh, meeting of the Northwest Power and 
Conservation Council, the uh, BPA guy had a presentation. One of the things that they're considering doing in, instead of spending so much money on stuff like fish screens in some places, uh, using falcons to keep away birds that prey on the fish. So nice. they might have they the uh, they had a presentation on falconry. You just so, never know what you're going to get into in this job, right? Yeah. So hopefully some of that money will go to giving falconers jobs and keeping uh, you know to to protect baby salmon. Wow, falcon stimulus. Yeah, exactly. Well, cool, interesting. Thank you. Uh, back in California. Silicon Valley technology behemoths, Google and Microsoft unveiled new energy projects designed to promote innovation in renewable energy resources, as well as help them move to carbon neutrality. Reporting from Linda Daily Paulson, um, Silicon Valley Clean Energy, uh, which is community choice aggregator, and Google reached an agreement through which the, the CCA will provide what it calls 24 seven renewable energy service. It's a 10 year agreement uh, SVCE will provide Google's offices in Mountain View and Sunnyvale with matching carbon-free electricity for Google's local demand for at least 90 per two, 92% of all the hours in the year. Um, interesting. Uh, that same day, Enchanted Rock said it signed a contract with Microsoft to develop what it said will be California's largest microgrid fueled only by renewable natural gas. It's be located at Microsoft's San Jose data center. Microgrid will be designed to serve the facility with backup power to ensure continuous operations. No information was provided describing the project's generation capacity, but it will outperform all current California Air Resources Board emissions requirements for distributed generation, which are the most stringent in the world. That's according to Enchanted Rock. Microsoft has pledged to become carbon negative by 2030. Um, one footnote here that we've covered extensively and has generated a lot of interest here at CEM is all the diesel backup that's being built to power data centers. Um, we have about 1.2 gigawatts of diesel in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, most new data centers are building large banks of backup diesel. So this has been a real bone of contention. Uh, these are Companies, you know, such as Microsoft that promote themselves as clean energy. We don't think of the internet as dirty, but uh, a lot of diesel and a lot more coming. Uh, we've seen proposals at the CEC for that. So but it looks like they're trying to address it here in a renewable way. So hats off for that. But um, yeah, something that we're definitely will continue to keep an eye on here at CEM. Yeah. So what else is happening up in the Northwest? Uh, well, speaking of uh, data centers, um, Microsoft and Chelan County PUD just signed a power contract agreement uh, to provide clean hydropower to support a new Microsoft data center here in central Washington. It's one of two that Microsoft's working on. And then also just last, I want to let uh, readers know that about an article here from Casey Mahaffey about uh, some efforts by federal lawmakers to block or slow down attempts to breach the four lower Snake River dams. Some of the Northwest, uh, some members of Congress from the Northwest have forwarded or put forth legislation or measures in le legis legislation. Ooh, that's a tough word to get out today, apparently, mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to make it harder 
for uh, to move forward with plans to breach uh, the four dams, which have become really at the uh, tip of the spear here for the debate over or fight over uh, dams and salmon in the Northwest. So uh, that's some of these have bipartisan support. Some of them are pushed primarily by Republicans, but uh, it comes right. These uh, measures were introduced. One of the, the latest measures was introduced right as uh, Washington Governor Jay Inslee and Senator Patrick Murray released a report outlining what it would take to replace the four lower Snake River dams. And so this is really just starting to heat up uh, as we go into the warmer summer months. It's debate is going to get hotter and hotter. Well, that's, yeah. that's it for me. Um, I think there's still some time this week. Uh, the We've got our annual wholesale power markets conference at the end of the week. So if you haven't signed up uh, and you hear this in time, register now. At You can find information to register at newsdata.com. Otherwise, that's it for me, Dan Catchpole. Thank you all for listening. And as always, please rate and review this podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Please let other people know about it and check out our uh, Public Power Underground, our, which we collaborate on with Klatskanai PUD. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at dcatchpole. And my co-host, Jason Fordney, is on Twitter at Fordney Energy. Yeah, thanks. That's F-O-R-D-N-E-Y Energy. You can read more of our coverage at newsdata.com. Nobody covers energy in the West like we do. You can follow CEM on Twitter, which is at CEM Newsdata. That's the letter CEM Newsdata. Clearing Up is also on Twitter at CU Newsdata. That's the letter CU Newsdata. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. You've been listening to Newsdata's Energy West a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow.